the way we think, the way we move, the way we manage our stress and what we put into our mouths really determines 80% of chronic disease outcome. Hello, my name is Gabriella Denry, MD, life coach at Doc Working, and welcome to this episode of the Doc Working Podcast. And I am joined here today with my fabulous guest, Dr. Andre Leroy. And so, Andre Leroy, we're going to talk about so much today about your journey, your path in medicine, and your practice as an integrative medicine specialist. But you also bring a different twist to that. And so, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Let's start with your origin story. What made you decide to become a doctor? And you chose a really unusual specialty. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being on here. Just really excited. And it's my intention to just share openly. I really fought going into medicine for some time. I was like, I finished my undergraduate after becoming pre-med. And I remember several conversations because I come from a physician family with several physicians like, don't do it. This is not the way to go try something else. Managed care is killing us. And I did. I did just that. I spent some time working for Morgan Stanley in finance. And what I found so surprising is whenever the market went down or up, that would determine everybody in the office's mood. And I just thought, we can't take this situation so seriously. I did research in a laboratory, but being as though I'm a people person, I just missed being around people, connecting with people. I was mainly just focused on my molecular biology research. And then so I decided to try massage therapy, which allowed me the person-to-person interaction. But then people would ask me about things that were wrong with them. And I would just say, well, go see your doctor. And so I realized out of a process of elimination, this was the path for me because it would allow me the depth and the vastness of experience of service, of science, of compassion, of healing. And I thought about other things like, oh, maybe I'll become a chiropractor or I'll become a naturopath. But I knew having come from an international background that I wanted to be able to serve in other places. And so I thought that the MD was the way to go international background and serve in other places because I hear service from what you're saying as being a big thing for you and that why medicine and international endeavors? Yeah. So I just remember stories. My father is from Haiti. My mother is from Jamaica. My father had tuberculosis at a time when there wasn't really much treatment for tuberculosis. And I recall him sharing how at that time, people used to have to go to a place in Haiti called a sanatorium. So they would just basically isolate them so that they would reduce spread and then offer them nutrition. It was run by nuns. And then there were these physicians who would come in from all parts of the world and help people. So that had a lot of meaning for him in his life and really impacted him in a very meaningful way. I also had an aunt who started a pretty large non-governmental organization in Haiti. And so I always knew that I wanted to give back in some way. I realized I wanted to do it a little differently than just mission work 
in that sometimes mission work can really disrupt the infrastructure of a country that's there. And I wanted to do what I could to not just support the people, the patients, but also support the system so that when I left, it's not like the whole thing would be destabilized starting all over again. So it was something that was really important to me, also seeing how things are done in other ways in the world and really reaffirming that service mentality is what really got me into doing international work. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit because you've been back and forth to Haiti multiple times as a physician. And we didn't get to your choice of specialty. I'm just going to say it, physiatry. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And you were in Haiti in the aftermath of the earthquake. And so tell us a little more about that, about your work there. Yeah. So at the time I was working at Harvard Medical School, which has a huge connection to Haiti through Paul Farmer's organization, Partners in Health. And there was this earthquake and I thought, oh my gosh, there has to be something I can do to serve. And there has to be a way to really support these people. At the time, I was thinking, oh, they need surgeries. But then I thought even further, but who's going to help them after the surgeries are over? And so I talked to my chairman. And interestingly, he was planning to go to Haiti, but had a lot on his plate. And so he sent me to really scope out the situation. And from there is when I realized I needed to commit to something more. You know, there's very little infrastructure for people with disabilities. Again, my father had a disability of anoxic brain injury after having a congestive heart failure, exacerbation, prolonged course in the ICU, and he didn't get enough oxygen to the brain. So from there, I just knew, wow, there's something more to this. There's something more to looking at things more holistically and given all on one day, hundreds of thousands of people not only died, hundreds and thousands of people acquired disabilities all on one day and there was no infrastructure. And here I am, a Haitian American who has some connection to the culture, has the ability to serve in this capacity. So it just felt like I was called to go there and serve in that way. I mean, you're coming into a country that, as you said, the infrastructure, whatever little infrastructure there was, is completely destroyed as a result of the earthquake. And you're coming into a situation to help people with disability because, yes, there's the immediate aftermath and then there's the the time right after. What happens to amputees? What happens to their ability to function moving forward? So how did you see your service? Like, how were you able to serve in that capacity as a physiatrist? coming from Harvard? So, you know, I've always in medicine been a trailblazer of an atypical path. So I told my chairman, I said, listen, we need work in global health. Disability is not just here in the United States. And there are lessons we can actually share between our experience here in the United States and Haiti and vice versa. You know, there is a whole recovery phase that occurs. And I learned so much from being there that those skills I then brought back to Harvard with me. And one of the things that we started with, because there was no infrastructure, was a community-based foundation. The time, the roads weren't completely paved. And so you had to reach people, you know, and so we developed a team rather quickly 
of community health workers, taught them about exercises, taught them the basics, and they would be the eyes and ears and go out into the communities and we would do outreach there, gather cases, figure out what their issues were, what are your problems, what are the biggest challenges that you're facing, and then work on solutions from the bottom up instead of the top down. So it really taught me so many skills that I would never have as a physician had I not had this experience. I spent six years of traveling back and forth every other month. So I do a month on service in Boston, and then I'd go to Haiti for a month. And then I do another month in Boston, and I job shared with another physician who had a global health project in Eritrea and Ethiopia, and his wife lived in Italy. So we kind of shared the same position and we made it work. And it was something incredible. And so sometimes if you're allowed in academia, a little bit more freedom to really work a little outside of the box. This was actually a lot outside of the box, but it ended up being a win-win-win for everyone involved because we got to share a level of expertise. We got to learn a level of expertise that we wouldn't have had had we not been partnering with the public health system. And then it was these shared ideas that created something even better than what we could have done before, both in Haiti and in the United States. I can spend the next two hours talking to you about this (laughs) because this kind of like, wow, this is amazing. And I love what you said about that it's not just North America taking information and resources to Haiti, but it's what we can learn from the experience in Haiti and what the community teaches us about our function as physicians, as service providers. And we're not just there to teach, we're there to learn. And so I think that that is just an invaluable point right there. So I'm going to fast forward again, because then how do you tie this into what you're currently doing? Because at this point, you started in physiatry, but it took you to community work, to international work, which is what you said your intention was before going to med school, that you wanted Mm -hmm. the ability to kind of travel and to serve in different parts of the world and to learn from different parts of the world. And now you are establishing or have established an integrative medicine practice, still work in physiatry. How do all these pieces at this point in your life, Andre? combined, do you think? Oh, it's all about integration. So I've always been interested, which is how I ended up in physiatry, in looking at medicine from a much more holistic perspective. And for me, the most holistic of the allopathic fields was physiatry, because we take an interdisciplinary approach. Yes, the physiatrist leads the team, I get to collaborate with all different specialties and we work together towards restoring function. So to me, it was the first model that I saw, like family medicine has a similar biopsychosocial model where we weren't as focused on the diagnosis and, oh my gosh, he has an anoxic brain injury. That's it. No, life continues after that. Life continues for people who've survived cancer. How do you thrive after cancer? What if you don't succumb to it? You survive and then you thrive. And so how do we look at this from a much more global perspective, which is how I got involved in looking at how lifestyle, how the way we think, the way we move, the way we manage our stress and what we put into our mouths 
really determines 80% of chronic disease outcome. So how can I work with people similar to what you do as a coach, but also keeping my doctor's hat on to support people in their journey of changing their habits, of looking at things more holistically, of growing in their consciousness and their mindfulness. It was all a part of the experience. And I think one thing I can say about the Haitian people, they are a very spiritual people, very grounded in whatever the belief, whether it's Catholicism, Christianity, other religions, whether it's the traditional African religions that they brought over, they are very much steeped in consciousness and understanding there's a power greater than themselves at work. And so it felt very true to myself, although it may not initially seem as aligned with traditional medicine to bring this element because it's such an important piece in most people's lives as far as how they manage or deal with situations, they often look to what is the silver lining. And in physiatry, we deal with lots and lots of devastating injuries. And I noticed there's some people that can take the experience, use it for their good, and then move forward. And then there are other people we notice that really don't do as well with it. They kind of just flounder for long periods of time, which is also understandable, but I really wanted to understand what sets those two apart. And for me, it came down to consciousness and how someone develops, how someone grows, how they take experiences that happen to them as being for them. And so what I decided was the best way I could be of service and of help to my patients and to myself was to look at things much more holistically. And so I decided to get a degree in spiritual psychology. You know, I'm familiar with what you're talking about, but for our audience, I want to make sure that it's clear to them because we're looking at spiritual psychology, but there's one thing that you and I talked about before this podcast, that it's very difficult to have progress in a client if you're not looking at yourself, because it's not just people who are looking within and, you know, dig into that mindfulness, dig into a spiritual belief, dig into a connection to something that is bigger than themselves. And you notice the difference between those who do and those who may or may not, or who get lost in the story, as opposed to reaching for that silver lining. I'm not saying it's bad or worse, either one, because we all go through these stages whenever dealing with chronic illness, especially with an injury. I could imagine the kind of injuries that you've had to deal with as a physician, as a physiatrist specifically. But the notion that in order for my patient or my client to get better, if there's a stuck point, I got to be willing to look at me. And so I'm wondering, is that what you mean by spiritual psychology? Yeah, spiritual psychology is the psychology of the psyche. So our psyche is really our truth. It's the beliefs that we carry that we utilize to help us manage life and the world. And if we've ever been brought up or taken on limiting beliefs, then we will be limited in our solutions. And so one of the things I do feel is really, really important as a physician, you know, stress management is an experiential course. We learn firsthand how to deal with stress, but we're never given the tools of how to really 
deal with it from a more conscious level. And so it became really important to me to get this training, not saying that everybody has to go and do that. Why? Because I can only be as helpful to my patients as the level of growth that I have incurred within myself. You see it all the time. And physicians who've never dealt with death on a personal level and then go through that experience of the death of a loved one, they have a different level of compassion, of experience, of support to offer, just like a pediatrician who's never had kids versus once they've had them, their counseling will be different. We've studied this. Numerous studies have been done that physicians counsel on what they do. And so in order for me to be as supportive to a vast array of patients, I have to be willing myself to adapt habits, to adapt ways of being, to be in a growth mindset, and to continue to grow not only in knowledge, but also grow in who I am as a person, the kind of legacy I want to leave on the planet, the kind of depth of service I want to have for others. And that can only occur if I am doing the work myself. And so in doing the work myself, I can then facilitate a container or an energy or a space for healing to occur. I am not necessarily the healer in that sense. I am a facilitator of someone else's healing. The same way metoprolol or Lasix is the facilitator of healing for somebody who's going through an exacerbation of their congestive heart failure. Stay tuned for more from today's guest after this important message from Board Vitals. Preparing for your board exam or looking for a quick and convenient way to earn CME? Study for your board exam and fulfill your CME requirements with Board Vitals. Board Vitals is the leading online board review platform with question banks and CME activities available in more than 50 medical and healthcare specialties. Board Vitals questions are loaded with detailed explanations, reference materials, and evidence-based rationales. And now you can take your studying on the go with Board Vitals mobile app. People who use Board Vitals question banks have a higher pass rate by 9% from the national average and an 18% reduction in study time. Board Vitals has helped more than 400,000 practitioners pass their board exams. They offer a free trial for all their question banks, and they offer a 100% pass guarantee when you sign up for a subscription of three months or more. Sign up today and get a special discount for being part of the Doc Working community by using the code DOCWORKING10. That's D-O-C-W-O-R-K-I-N-G and the number 10. That's a 10% discount code just for being part of our community with the discount code DOCWORKING10 for boardvitals.com. That's B-O-A-R-D-V-I-T-A-L-S.com. So what would be, let's say, a patient example, if you can share uh, sure. about what you mean about bringing all these pieces together, not just the technical stuff, the medical stuff, the prescriptions, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, that kind of more, I'll say the word, more spiritual connections yeah. and mindfulness yeah. and consciousness. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be a taboo term. You know, I think people hear that word and they get nervous and scared, especially people in medicine. They don't want to offend anybody. But we're not talking about religion. We're talking about spirituality, which is much broader. It can be just believing in something greater than yourself, believing in the greater good of humanity 
believing in, for some people, it is God. For some people, it's the universe. For some people, it's their collective community and the sum of that being greater than what's done in solo. But I'll give you an example I had this week, actually. Young woman was pregnant and got COVID at her baby shower, unfortunately. She was seven months pregnant at the time, was in the ICU, had a C-section. So they delivered the baby, was on ECMO for four months. And then following, they tried and couldn't get her off until she received a lung transplant. So she had bilateral lung transplants, young person in her 30s. And I just remember meeting her for the first time. I'm like, wow, this woman is a real survivor. And she talked to me about the fact that she didn't even recall having had a baby, but was told that she had one. So she had some retrograde amnesia from some anoxia, which is lack of oxygen to the brain. And so we were just talking and she's like, I can't do anything. I can't move my arms. I can't move my legs. I said, yes, that is very true. And a week ago, you and I couldn't even have this conversation. So can we just for this moment in time, I know it's hard because you're so used to what you could do before. Can we, for a moment of time, take an attitude of gratitude? And that was her homework for me. I give people homework to do when they're at the rehab hospital is to focus on three things that she noticed that she was able to do that she couldn't do the week before. And she's like, oh, I took a couple sips of water. Oh, I sat at the edge of the bed for the first time. Oh, and so it took her just out of the spiral of negativity into this possibility. And I said, if that's possible for you in a week, you have eight weeks here. Imagine what can happen. And so fast forward to two weeks later, she's holding her baby for the first time. When before she had compartment syndrome, she couldn't move her arms. She is holding her baby for the first time. And so it was just incredible to witness the evolution and to now we have these very in-depth conversations where she shares very openly about, you know, how challenging the situation is, but how grateful she is to be alive, to be able to witness, to be a participant and how it's given her this attitude of gratitude coupled with her like waking up to all these different possibilities has taken her into such a deep space of appreciation for herself, for her family that she would have never had. And it's not to take away the fact that this was really tragic, that she had to go through this experience, but she is here, present, able to raise her child. Yeah. Isn't that the wonder about these kinds of situations is that oftentimes it's not a solution. It really is just kind of reframing what a person thinks about a situation. It's the same circumstance, but looking at it from a slightly different angle. And sometimes it's really just little, really, really, really slight. And that slight difference makes such a massive impact. And I was talking to a friend of mine who also went through a pretty significant incident in her life a few years back, was in a coma for several weeks and finally got out of the coma. And she still has those moments where it's like, you know, I don't know what happened. Why am I here? Why am I here like this? And I said, well, instead of talking about what happened before, why don't we call it your transformation? That you Mm. went through a a transformative moment. Yes. And so to be able to say just that change in vocabulary made a big difference. 
simply because, okay, my transformation, I'm not the same person I was yesterday. I'm a different person today and that's okay too. <laughs> you know. So I appreciate what you just said because I can relate to that 100%. What is your transformation? That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. But you had a massive yeah. transformation yourself, my friend. And the fact that you could not only relate to this young woman and her double lung transplant, but you've also shared in another podcast that I saw you on about your experience with COVID and that yeah. it hit home. Very Oh, very yes. Very, very, very much so. Yeah. So I was a long hauler before we knew what a long hauler was. I got COVID in early March of 2020. I do believe I got it during the whole mask shortage frenzy. I was covering for another doc at a local hospital, but who knows? We'll never really know. But yes, I am a solo mom of a beautiful daughter and had not only the experience of trying to nurse myself to health, but dealing with her. Now I think about like grace must have come in. I opted not to go to the hospital, even though my saturations, my oxygen level was at the level where you're supposed to go in because I had no one or where, what was I going to do with her? And I actually called and asked like, well, what do you do with kids? And they said, oh, well, Child Protective Services is not taking people at the moment. So we would admit her to the pediatric floor and she would be there in quarantine herself. And so in hearing that, I just was like, hell or come high water. I have a determination. I asked my community to really hold for me, to pray for me, to send me positive vibes, to send me light. I did everything I could. I chanted. I prayed, I took herbs, I took hydroxychloroquine because that's all we knew about back then and thought it was the greatest thing ever. I took amantadine, which is another med that's known to be antiviral that we use a lot for people with brain injuries. I, I did everything I possibly could and I did recover at home, but it took me five months before I felt like I was myself again. And still, I don't have 100%. I have some of my smell back. I do tire a lot easier. I do feel stiffer. I'm lucky that the brain fog has lifted. But it was definitely one of these experiences. But what I realized about the experience is that I was not living fully true to myself in true alignment. What do I mean by that? What does she mean by that? Well, here it is. I was working in a situation, so to speak, to pay the bills, but it was not necessarily where I felt called to be, but I didn't have the courage at the time to step out and do something that I've always wanted to do. And so the COVID experience for me or COVID phenomenon that some people are now calling it because it wasn't just tragedy. It was also such a gift. That gave me some time and space to really cultivate and grow my micro practice, which I get to do these things. I get to sit knee to knee and coach people and talk about lifestyle changes and talk about integrative ways of doing things and also bring in that element of consciousness into the conversation. And I've noticed the tremendous impact that it's had on people. So although it was something that was very difficult, not to mention at the time, I was also trying to care for a child who then went on to have a post-COVID complication three months later. It was just one of these things where I had to dig deep into my own beliefs, my own strength, my own faith, 
in order to see it through. So what impact do you think these experiences have? Because the beauty about now is that we get to look at everything (laughs) since birth, how it combines in ways that perhaps was totally unexpected. And what surprised you about what you know now and how you are now as a physician, as a mom, as a human being, really? I'm not going to compartmentalize anymore. Is there anything that surprises you about any of this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had to develop a level of trust. I had to trust the universe. I had to trust myself. I had to trust that everything that was happening to me was also happening for me. And so it really allowed my daughter and I to bond in a way that we would have never been able to. It allowed me to slow down and really look at what is it that I want to intend for myself, as opposed to just living in this automatic mode of going, going, going. It also helped me reflect upon medicine as a whole and looking how we are hungry for a paradigm shift. And I want to be a part of that paradigm shift. We are hungry for deeper levels of care, more interaction, growth on all levels, not just in the financial growth, but also in so many other aspects of our lives. I think the biggest thing that COVID taught us is we are looking for a sense of fulfillment on all levels. And so my encouragement to other physicians, my encouragement to other people who are listening is to really just get in touch with what helps you and supports you in feeling fulfilled. And sometimes it takes a slowing down and a listening inside to really see that. Like nothing thrills me more than teaching other people about this work or sitting knee to knee and seeing the light bulb go off. It's like that is where my sense of fulfillment lies. And so realizing that, how can I cultivate more of that in my life as opposed to rushing, 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 seeing each person, seeing each person, doing the note, getting it done, submitting to the biller. How do I slow down, but also earn a living? So these are the questions that I think are accumulating in the minds of many of us physicians, like the how. And I love what some people are doing with real estate investing. And I love what some people are doing with this whole movement of financial independence for physicians. But I also want us to look within to what brought me here, what called me to this, because it is a lot of work. And can I get in touch with the moments that bring me the most richness in my experience. Not just the accomplishment of, accomplishment and fulfillment, two totally different things. Yes, we're a very accomplished group of people. But in many ways, the pandemic highlighted how deeply unfulfilled we are currently feeling in our profession. And it's time for a shift. Mm-hmm. So what do you envision? <laughs> you got my brain cells going, girl. I would love to see that this level of growth, just like we grow in knowledge of science, that even in our training, you know, I feel like a lot of us had to suppress our emotions, suppress our wants, our needs, our desires. I misinterpreted the Hippocratic Oath. I thought it meant I had to deny myself in service to my patients. I went back to read it again and laugh. Because he talks about needing to take care of ourselves in service to the people that we're serving. 
And so how do we bring that art back to medicine? How do we bring this consciousness into the conversation and into the training of physicians as healers, as those who facilitate not only the science and the treatment, but the healing that's so desperately needed. And so I am looking forward to seeing what comes forward. I hear a lot of people, I need to ditch, I need to bail, but I'm actually looking forward to seeing how, as you use the word, this transforms. Sometimes we got to transform from a place of pain and struggle. And so how can we use the pain that we've all witnessed, experienced as energy towards the transformation of our field? Wow. Again, I could spend another day talking to (laughs) you about this, but we are going to wrap it up. What is next for you, Andre? So a lot of beautiful things are happening. So I am continuing on in this conversation, one being a wellness retreat for professional women who would like to really look into this more deeply and explore more deeply how they can heal and transform more workshops because I love to teach and learn and grow as a group, continuing on in my micro practice and seeing how that evolves and also coaching other physicians who are interested in learning how can I do things outside of the box that allow me to feel more fulfilled and still earn abundantly. So I'm just really excited. I'm really grateful to you, though, for allowing me to share. And thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being of service in this way. I appreciate that. Thank you for being so open in your sharing. I think this has been a brilliant conversation. Thank you so much. We have something really exciting, a doc working that we want to tell you about. It's called the Doc Working Thrive Subscription Membership. And it's almost a little bit like burnout insurance. If you don't need that, you just want another way to know how to thrive. This is it. This subscription includes weekly video tips delivered straight to your inbox, exciting small monthly group coaching sessions where you actually have access to be coached by one of our top coaches at Doc Working. You get access to virtual courses, including STAT, quick wins to get your life back, a leadership course called A New Era of Physician Leadership, and another course called Communication for the Win. All of these courses are delivered virtually, so you can do it on your own time and with your own schedule. And you also will have access to 24-7 private Thrive Physician Facebook community. All of these different features come to you as part of the subscription. It's an incredible value. We are so excited for this community. Don't wait. Go right now to docworking.com to find out how you can sign up for the Doc Working Thrive subscription membership. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Taran. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number 1. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at amanda at docworking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.